Hi, I'm Senator Malcolm Roberts, and welcome to Our Nation Today. In this podcast, we discuss protecting children. Children deserve and are entitled to our care. It's natural, inherent, ingrained in us to protect children. After all, we're only here as adults because someone cared for us when we were infants and children. Dr. Maria Montessori said our children represent the hope and the promise for humanity. Children are humanity's future, our species' future, our nation's future. Today's children are Australia's future, and they will make our country productive and safe and secure. Parents, communities and governments have the duty and obligation to protect our children until they develop into capable and consenting adults. It's the child's right to be protected from harm. When children are not developed enough to be the sole decision maker on really important issues, they need parental support and guidance. Today, we're experiencing an alarming increase in children presenting with gender dysphoria in Western countries. In the UK, for example, girls presenting with gender dysphoria in the last 10 years rose 4,000%. At the Australia's Royal Children Hospital, referrals have exploded from one every two years to 104 patients in 2014. Gender dysphoria is the felt sense that one's emotional and psychological identity is at odds with one's birth sex. In essence, I'm born a male, and if I had gender dysphoria, I would not feel male, I would feel female. For children with gender dysphoria, it can be an extremely distressing time, and in some cases the feelings of revulsion for their bodily sex can be debilitating. No one can invalidate these very real feelings that torment some of our children. Whatever the cause, those feelings are very real and can be confusing, terrifying. Our young girls are experiencing gender dysphoria in epidemic proportions. To remedy their distress, these children are requesting puberty blockers and sex hormones that can lead to irreversible surgery, such as mastectomies. These treatments are largely unproven and, in fact, considered experimental and are showing a range of side effects including infertility, cancer, decreases in bone density and negatively affecting brain development. The long-term consequences of this medical treatment are largely unknown. Yet this is the medical pathway, and all this can happen before 18 years of age. These children have immature brains and have not reached full sexual maturity, yet are left to make these life-altering adult decisions. Now we also know that of the children experiencing gender dysphoria, up to 70% of children resolve their feelings through puberty and stay with their birth gender and lead happy adult lives. Children, though, who make irreversible hormonal or surgical decisions before full maturity are at risk of making the wrong decision that can't be undone later. Many children with gender dysphoria have associated mental health issues, and the most appropriate path is therapeutic with love, care and understanding, not irreversible hormonal treatment, not an irreversible slice of a scalpel. It's worrying that many parents are increasingly being disempowered to support their children when presenting as gender dysphoric. Some health professionals are ushering children onto a medical pathway rather than a therapeutic pathway. Parents and some medical professionals are being shamed and intimidated into silence and labelled as unsupportive and transphobic. To talk about this further and how we ought to protect our children, I have a special guest today. I'm honoured and we're all privileged to welcome Becky to our Nation Today podcast. Becky, who was born a boy made the change to a trans female a few years ago. Now she is in her mid-50s. 
Becky is going to share some of her story and her perspective around children receiving medical treatment, such as puberty blockers, hormones and irreversible surgery. Hi, Becky. Thank you, and thank you for contacting our office when you learned of our commitment to protecting children. It's good to have you here. Firstly, would you please share with me your experience of childhood gender dysphoria? Well, when I was about three, I wanted to dress up like a lot of boys do, but mine was more out of a, like a strong desire. And then when I was four, I realised I had the wrong bits. And then when I was about nine, I was that upset with myself and felt uh, disassociated with the world. I tried to commit suicide. Then uh, somebody came home and I stopped. And then I uh, felt the desire to find out more about gender dysphoria. But at that stage I didn't know what it was called. So I uh, looked into it and realised that I have to wait until puberty to find out my real self. And I did that and nothing changed. But then um, I uh, took other means like alcohol and stuff like that to to cover my femininity and yeah and then I spent my 20s, 30s and 40s uh, trying to fit into society but not and and then I thought well if I'm going to survive I've got to do what I've, I've always wanted to do you know because alcohol is not the means to the ends and uh, so yeah, here I am. Well, thank you for being open about that and transparent, Becky. It must have been very difficult when you were three and four, but it, you you actually had a, a strong realisation at the age of four. Yes, yeah. So you were lucky. You were, It was clarified for you. Yes. Um, but what I learnt was it, uh, that puberty is a big part of your life, and kids have to wait until then, till they they understand. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. So so, um, adolescence brings even more confusion to well to every person because our brains are rewiring and so on. In that confusion, what sort of books and information did you access? Get it from all places, or uh, mainly uh, the li- school library um, and our encyclopedia and dictionary we had at home. So there wasn't much back then, um, and what you did find was, oh, it's just a mental illness, uh, which I always felt that it was more than that. I f- I felt it was genetic, was something of you know, of that ilk, but, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, we now know a lot more about it. I can remember I would have been 10 years ahead of you uh, because I'm in my mid-60s, and uh, there wasn't much around in those days for no. someone exploring. No. Um, and so we, did, and we plus we didn't have Google or we didn't have uh, anything like that, so um, 
and that's probably what our kids lack today. They don't, besides getting on the computer, they don't know how to uh, research things. <laughs> yeah, and, and so um, you were very lucky that someone interrupted you when you were trying to harm yourself, and yes. that must have been a bit of a jolt, and you started making up your mind that you would explore that, but you would do it after puberty. You'd explore it now, but, but then mm. after puberty, decide. Yeah. Well, full credit to you. Um, Thanks. Now, you've worked in very masculine areas, farming, shearing, jackarooing, uh, station hand. Yeah. So that must have been even more um, challenging for you. I, I just felt that I had to prove myself, the proof like, that I was a man. But it was, you know, and then, so then drinking was part of the game. And, uh, yeah, there wasn't too many nights I was sober, except when I had to drive. <laughs> so that, that's even more miserable then. So in the 40s, you needed to, you, you realised you needed to do something. Very unhappy. Yeah. So yeah. what did you do then? Uh, well, the doctor sort of, I talked to a couple of doctors and they uh, sent me to see a couple of uh, psychologists and the first psychologist um, I didn't feel comfortable with and the second psychologist she basically said if you want to have a sex change go and have a sex change and I thought well I want to make sure this is thoroughly right for me and then I gave it a break for a little while and then I went uh, seen the doctor and another doctor and the doctor put me on to another psychologist and I've been seeing him ever since and I felt very comfortable telling him my story and he said to me, he said that out of all the uh, patients that I've had, you are the most consistent. I have a lot of young patients that uh, don't um, they're very sort of inconsistent in their opinions of themselves and yeah so, and so then, even you as, as an adult though you weren't satisfied with the first psychologist psychiatrist you went to another then you went to a third so you made sure you got all your information together and you, you were an adult then a very mature adult in, in your 40s yes yes I was uh, yeah, about 45 so even though you knew uh, from the age of four onwards, you still approach this with a lot of thought. You got the data, you got the research, you went to doctors, you went to three different psychologists before you took it any further. Yeah, he then referred me to a doctor and then the doctor to the endocrinologist. Um, and then the endocrinologist onto a psychiatrist who then wanted to see me three times before she decided on giving me hormones. Um, so she was very responsible and she was wanting to make sure you're absolutely certain. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. that's as an adult. So adolescents presenting are not certain at all, are they really? No, no. So in about three years ago, you, you finally let people know what you were going to do? Yes, yes. Uh, I let friends know in the way of a letter 
I uh, gave to him and then ran out the door. And then... Uh, what do you mean ran out the door? <laughs> well, a couple of times, a couple of people, I just gave an envelope and then walked off and they thought it was a lotto win or something. <laughs> but... Uh, so it was a pretty, that, pretty daunting experience for you? Uh, to some people, I... I knew most of my friends, was, my true friends would stand by me, but there was a few friends that I wasn't sure about that um, that would uh, sort of, oh yeah, whatever, and just ignore you. Like, But no, most of them have just welcomed me with open arms. It's been great. And some of the guys told you that they had felt uh, like female in their early years, but after puberty and more testosterone... They changed. Yes, yes. So and I had a few come up to me, um, and yeah, told me that. But for you, it didn't, of course. No, no, nothing changed. Puberty, just uh, I've got the like the bodily hair and the muscle growth, and that was it. Um, and I still felt feminine, uh, and that's I went drinking or something like that and uh, just tried to block things out. So what sort of feelings went through your mind and heart you know, after you had the operation and telling friends? Well, after the operation, I was, well, <laughs> all the painkillers aside, I felt euphoric, I felt content um, and... At I ease. At ease, yes. Um, but going back to when I told my friends and my first time walking around town dressed as a woman, uh, I felt excited. Uh, and I felt this this is what I want. Felt relieved? Yes, very much so. At last? Mm. Okay. And it met needs for authenticity? Yes. Honesty and, and just, just ease and comfort, I guess. Mm. I, can, I can see your face smiling as we discuss it. So <laughs> you were very, very pleased with that operation. Yes, yeah. But also pleased that you left it till well after uh, adolescence. Yes, yes. Uh, I would hate to reverse what I've done because for some reason I didn't like it or... Um, it just wasn't for me. I'd hate to turn around and go, I don't want this, and have to go back for all the heartache and emotional and hormonal stress that I'd put myself through. I mean, as a as a kid, I'll, personally, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, that's very good advice. Thank you, because um, a lot of people presenting as children 10, 11, 12 uh, or any time in adolescence with gender dysphoria um, who take the early treatment actually don't realise that it's, it's a passing phase and, and they come out of the end, end of adolescence liking the body that they've been in and so mm. they regret it some of them. Yeah well this now is the first time I've locked my body which is um You know, I, this morning I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, this, this is wonderful. 
Right. So, so children need to wait until they've sexually matured because they can't know for sure until then because their brains are still rewiring their their um, their bodies not finished growing yet and all their bits and pieces haven't haven't formed so they must wait until after adolescence and after people mm. yeah for sure what are children being taught in schools these days from uh every school's different uh but from what i can gather their the gender ideology and stuff like that and the parents don't have to know what they've been taught, which is the upsetting thing, um, from what I can gather. And like, I googled the Safe Schools program mainly because I wanted to find out uh, what it was about. And in the middle of it is parents don't have to know. Then you hear stories about um, kids going to school dropped off by one parent and one parent accepts them being called Jill and uh, the other parent picks them up and finds out they're being called Jill and their name is actually Jack and you know <laughs> it's it must be so distressing for kids and to be taught about gender like we had to wait until year nine um, to do sex education um, and we got a let we had a letter home to our parents and stuff like that. Whereas, like the parents don't have to know. And I've seen uh, videos on Twitter saying um, so-called educators coming into a classroom of six-year-olds and saying that you can be any gender you want. Well, that's wrong. That is morally irresponsible. Um, yeah, what more can you say? Um, if if that was my kid, I'd and I found out about that, I'd be homeschooled. And it wasn't until coronavirus that some parents actually found out that uh, my kids really getting taught this at school. You know, um, and I don't have kids myself. I coach kids f- football and stuff like that. And the the stress and the thing that the kids must be going through is like appalling. Um, yeah, we 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 picked it up talking to a doctor in the south side of Brisbane here. Uh, it is terrible. It is appalling. You've you've got the right word, appalling. And uh, I was on Twitter one time, and when I was complaining about this post, and these parents said, oh, they, these educators know what they're doing. And I think this particular one was over in England. And I said, no, they don't. These are six-year-old kids. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, you know, and I watched something the other day on um, um, Facebook. And it was about... Uh, uh, to a boy and a girl talking to a uh, drag queen. Well, a drag queen is totally different to who I am. They don't represent me. And they're a drag queen dresses for either entertainment or their own pleasure. Not f- not for because they want to be a girl. 
what they could do, but you know, it's you're just confusing kids. And to me, that sort of stuff doesn't belong in school. Oh, how true! How true you are. Um, same with non-gendered language. Hmm. Um, I know you think pretty strongly about that. I mean, boys are boys, girls are girls, and um, they have a gender. Hmm. And as much as I, I hate it. Like I call myself a trans. I don't call myself, well, you know, trans female. But um, I, I had to. As much as I wanted to be called a girl, I had to accept the fact that yes, I'm a boy. I'm born a boy. So basically, I say to people now that I'm a. Um, I was born a boy with a feminised brain, and. That's the best way to describe it. What a wonderful way of, of putting it. That, that really summarises it so, so well. Because it is confusing for, for a lot of people in society, but you've just summarised it. There's, there's no two bodies are alike, no two brains are alike, and there's so much variation in brains um, that we can have slightly different chemistry in our brains, different neural connections in our brains. And you might... I'm a, I'm a boy, I was born a boy, you were born a boy but your brain doesn't feel the same way about it as my brain feels about it. So, so there's something uh, not at ease with you, and so you, you took the right steps. You did the research, and then, then you found that ease now. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad I, I did it the way I did it. Yeah, I, I, I uh, really admire your courage and, and the fact that you have done it through a lot of exploration. You've put up with a lot. Um, and now you're obviously very happy about it, which is wonderful to see. And, and you're accepting that you're not superior to me or inferior to me. You're the same, you're human, and your brain is slightly different, and you've taken the right steps and, and acted with courage and integrity to, to, um, to find that place for you where you're at ease. Yes, yeah. And I appreciate that. What about um, your opinion on trans females... Uh, I know you don't use that term, but trans females in female sports. People who were born boys, uh, but they're actually in female I'm t- sports. I'm totally against that. I mean, I'm um, in saying that I've been asked to play women's darts and women's bowls, which, I mean, realistically, there's no sort of women beat men in bowls quite often. Uh, <laughs> but... As far as playing a contact sport, no. Or a physical exertion sport, definitely not. Um, and I got asked to play foot, Aussie Rules football. I trained with our local girls and I said, no, I won't. Uh, I could never lift myself if I took um, someone out. And I personally, I don't think, even if they got... Uh, transition before puberty I still reckon it's a huge advantage um, with the male body Wow, I agree Um, What about use of unisex toilets at schools? Uh, No I mean what's the harm of having three toilets boys, girls and uh, disabled the ones that feel uncomfortable using the um, uh, boys or girls' toilets. But boys shouldn't, 
should not be using girls' toilets. We yep. know that as a kid. And what, what comes through um, overwhelmingly in, in everything you're saying, Beck, is that um, the child is paramount and we have to take care of the child. You certainly do. And the other thing that comes through, or another thing that comes through, is that the individual um, is paramount and must be treated with respect. And there's enormous variation in, in humans, how we present ourselves, how we are, in, both mentally uh, as well as physically. Yes. Um, I mean, we're all individuals, but uh, I don't know. I've, I've been in... I'm sort of into individualism, but I'm also into blending into society and not having special treatment. Like um, the uh, LBGTI community hasn't done much for me. Um, I mean, I don't dislike people who are part of it, but. Uh, I mean, I'd rather blend into society than blend out, so to speak. Yeah, blend in rather than stand out. Yeah. yeah. That's what I okay. was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, gender dysphoria, in my opinion, Beck, needs the attention of politicians, parents and medical professionals to put a stop to the practices that are gaining momentum in this country. Um, you know, changing genders in people before adolescence, even during adolescence. In my opinion, it's a weak and pathetic stance to label, though, other, others transphobic when what is needed is the protection of our children. So any parents stand up, any professionals stand up, any teachers stand up and say, hey, he's too young or she's too young, um, they're labelled as, as transphobic. Yes, they are. I mean, a lot of my friends won't comment on some of the things I say because, and I can get away with it on Twitter, or Facebook, whereas a lot of my friends can't. Um, like uh, boys playing girls' sport and stuff like that, um, or uh, men playing women's sport. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, every time they speak up and that, they're all there in the sin bin for you know a week. Uh, well, it always seems to me that when people use labels, uh, they're just trying to shame people, they're just trying to silence people, which means mm. they can't really put up a good argument themselves. They're just trying to shut the other person down. Yeah, they certainly do. Um, and like, uh, don't worry, I've even copped it f from some of those people because I'm not standing up for uh, what they would call my people which uh, the trans people and I said I support trans all the time but there's some things I just don't support which is kids transitioning um, or um, trans women playing women's sport you know it's just any, any, anybody can see it's cheating or a form of cheating and, uh, you know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand that. Yep, it's pretty basic. And, and what about you, Beck? Have you been labelled or slighted or smeared? Um, 
well, on Facebook and Twitter, oh, not so much Facebook, but on Twitter I have. Uh, but m most of the time, people who don't support me or don't think, they just ignore me or give me a dirty look. But uh, most of the time, uh, my support's been positive. It has been. Hmm. Wonderful. So, um, you know, I've already mentioned that uh, labelling people is an attempt to silence, to shut down people. Um, trans women generally do cop their share of abuse. And uh, labelling, whether it's lab labelling someone who's opposed to their kids having surgery or, or, or hormonal treatment as transphobic or labelling someone who has, as you said very well, uh, a male body but a, a female part in your brain uh, labelling you as being um, not right um, it's just a tiny minority of our population but it's just still it just seems to me we have a duty as all as humans to treat everyone respectfully and as worthy yep certainly do and and what comes through for me when I meet people is not whether they're male or female rich or poor black or white Caucasian or Asian it's the fact that they're human and I, what I do is I listen for their interests and what they have to offer all of us whether they're 3 or 4 or 34 or, or 84 hmm. well I always look at people's character not their characteristics oh I like that can I use that one yeah <laughs> we'll use that in parliament <laughs> Becky before I um, sign off I want to thank you very much for your courage and frankness in talking with me and I really applaud you because you could see that um, uh, in making my comments in Parliament and on social media and in, in, uh, in our media releases, we are doing this to protect children. And you stepped forward and said, hey, I'd like to talk to you. And, I support, and you said you support very much what I'm doing. Um, and your frankness in talking with me on such an important issue is so, so much... Uh, respected and appreciated and I really applaud your courage in doing that and especially your courage and your integrity in doing what you've done uh, three years ago and the way in which you've gone about it ever since you were four so uh, thank you very much yeah thanks for having me on we all know that adolescence is tough it's a time of intense hormonal activity the brain is undergoing lots of changes and being reorganized Children's characters can be inherently unstable as everything is often magnified in the adolescence world. Our adolescents become idealistic and belonging to a tribe becomes a key driver of behaviour. Many adolescents are painfully sensitive to comments about their physical appearance as body hair and breast develop and they grapple with new uncoordinated bodies. They're actually growing into their bodies. It's important to remember that our 12 to 17 year olds are not the children they were and most importantly are not yet adults. Adolescents do not have adult brains, do not have adult experience, nor perspective. So it's not fair to abandon children to decision-making that will affect their lives, their adult years, irreversibly, their whole life irreversibly. Minority viewpoints are hijacking this critical issue affecting our children's well-being. We must not cower in the corner in fear of name-calling. You know, one grandmother has written to me to say that and these are her words. The topic has become too hot to touch for fear of being labelled as transphobic. She goes on to say that both her grandsons have decided suddenly and out of the blue that they want to change to being girls. On questioning her 11-year-old grandson, he told her he learnt about it in class 
and then found out more online. Another mother shares that her 12-year-old daughter frequently receives schooling in non-gender language. This is confusing our children, and it's seriously confusing children, according to some doctors we've talked with. We encourage parents to know what children are being taught at school and what's being discussed at assemblies. We need confidence that teachers' biases are kept out of the classroom and that there is developmentally appropriate material and messages. We do not send our children to school to be indoctrinated with ideals and values that is at odds with our family values. There's an urgency to halt the momentum of putting our children who present with gender dysphoria on the conveyor belt of a medical route. We know the therapeutic route is underutilised. So I encourage politicians, as lawmakers, to look more closely at lack of transparency from our Australian gender clinics and to consider why overseas gender clinics have moved away from allowing children to receive medical treatment when presenting with gender dysphoria. I'm not a doctor, yet I know there are many medical and allied health professionals in Australia who are promoting the wait-and-see approach alongside a therapeutic pathway. Until our children are adults, they cannot be sure that these will not be decisions of regret there will be a tiny minority of people who, like Becky, as an adult, will make the change. Regardless, everyone deserves respect. My office will work with all politicians who have the courage to take a stand on behalf of our children and our parents. Thank you for joining me, Senator Malcolm Roberts, on Our Nation Today. <laughs>